0: were doing 10 mile long run by the time and I dropped them and they were like oh this kid is tough I was coming going rolling hills, and my coach was like hmm you ran the last mile 455 I was like oh I didn't even know what's that mean 455 a mile I was like I just ran it's I used to cook in kilometers but I, was like, I thought it was a kilometer and I was like that's slow but it was miles but uh, a few months later I came back and run fast indoors and i was like oh you can run i was like okay that's the moment i fall in love with the sport and i end up quitting the tr- the soccer thing and just focus on running
1: that's edward chesarek and this is episode 58 of the morning shakeout podcast What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and every week on this show, I bring you conversations with some of the top athletes, coaches, personalities, and behind-the-scenes people in the sport of running to learn as much as I can about them while gleaning insight and inspiration that we can all apply to our own lives. This week, I'm excited to share a recent conversation I had with Edward Cesarek. King Chez, as he's known throughout the running world, recently tied the IAAF world record for the Road 5K at the Carlsbad 5000. He broke the tape in 13 minutes and 29 seconds. I was fortunate enough to sit down with Ed a couple days before the race to learn a little bit more about his life, his upbringing in Kenya, moving to the US as a high schooler almost 10 years ago, his record-setting collegiate career at the University of Oregon, where he won 17, that's 17 NCAA titles, Titles, what it would mean for him to gain his U.S. citizenship and represent this country in an international championship, and a lot more. We only had half an hour or so for this one, and I tried to pack as much into it as I could, so please enjoy my conversation with the man they call King Chez, Edward Chesarek. You got your name on your shoes. Look at that. Oh, not bad. This is called the Go Run Go Run Chess. Yeah.
0: It's actually right Seven. Yeah. Right Seven Chess. Yeah.
1: How long have you been sponsored by Sketchers now? <sighs> this is my second year. Second year. Alright. Well, we'll roll right into it. Edward Cheserick, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you in Carlsbad. By the time this podcast comes out, the race is gonna be long gone, but just talk about why you're here and what you're hoping to do on Sunday.
0: Um, I'm here because I got invited to this race and I want to you know, try to see what I can run. This year, this is going to be my first one on the road coming here. And um, I'm looking forward to see what I can do on Sunday.
1: That's going to be fast or whatever happens. I'll take it. This race has a great history. A lot of folks have run fast here over the years. The course records, 13 minutes. What does it mean to you to be part of Carlsbad's history?
0: Uh, it, I mean, it means a lot to me because I've never run here, but I've seen the history a lot that came through here. And uh, when I came here, like, you know, I started there, you know, the people ruling here before a long time before me. And it was like, oh, that's... This course has, an, uh, has a story, so I have to go there. Probably I can make a story or I can just learn it for the, you know, maybe next day I can come back in and, you know, make more story.
1: So we're early April right now. Where does this race fit into your spring season and summer racing season?
0: Uh, this one actually is, you know, I just came here to test my fitness, you know, since I ran indoor 1308 uh, like a month ago, and now I'm just, you know, Took like some time off a little bit and then start training again. And I was like, you know, I'm going to see what I can do before I head home. I'm actually heading home on Monday from straight from here to Kenya and then go train a little bit and then come back, get ready for, for the summer.
1: How long will you be in Kenya?
0: Uh, I'll be there actually close to a month.
1: And we you be staying with family, or what does your time look like when you go uh, home to Kenya?
0: I'll be super busy with Nairobi, try to work on my visa stuff, and then probably
1: go home like two weeks later and then spend two weeks with family and then come back. How often do you go home to Kenya now that you're based here in the US? So you've been based here in the US for quite a while.
0: Uh, I try to go probably once a year. Yeah, but last year I decided to go twice to go see my mother and we we had a family staff and then I went twice a year. Okay,
1: let's dive into your story a little bit. You've been here in the U.S. for almost 10 years now. You first came here in 2009 for a little while, went back to Kenya and then came back full-time 2010 to be a student at St. Benedict's in New Jersey. What were your initial impressions of the United States when you first came here almost 10 Uh years ago? When I
0: came here, you know, I was a little boy, you know, try to, you know, experience life a little bit. So I was shocked and, you know, because I didn't even know anything going on in like here. I didn't speak that much English. I didn't even know anyone. So I was just in the middle of nowhere. You know, I, I thought like I was lost in the middle of nowhere for the second. You know, I kind of find out like, oh, this is what I want to be. You know, I want to meet people. I want to start my own life, you know. And I went to school, i make friends, meet my coaches, and start knowing everybody and start speaking English too.
1: How did you end up at St. Benedict's in New Jersey?
0: Uh, it's a long story about that, actually. So uh, there was a priest in my hometown, and he's actually from New York, and um, they are close friends to my family and people from the school I went to, and they speak with my, my teacher, my family, were like, hey, are you guys willing to, if we pick up a couple kids from your school and then to take the u.s and i was one of those guys and i qualified for the requirement that they needed at by that time so i ended
1: up coming and when you got here to the u.s you just shared your initial impressions was there any point that you ever wanted to go back home where you were homesick or you felt like this isn't where you belonged or were you ready for the challenge of assimilating uh, into a new country
0: i was excited to be here for a little bit of time but uh they when I got there they were like yeah hey, you may go home probably after a couple of years and I was like yeah that's gonna to be tough for me I just need to go see my family and there's some some phone when my dad was getting sickness and then he ended up passing away so I was like I need to go home I'm not gonna come back anymore and you know my coach and my teachers they were like you need to come back we need you here so I went back for the funeral stuff and just decided to stay in Kenya but they make me to come back so I ended up coming
1: back and. When you did come back, what was your family encouraging you to do at the time? Did they want you to stay back in Kenya or did they push you to come back to the U.S. to make the most of your opportunity?
0: Uh, My mother actually wanted me to, you know, to come back to U.S. But uh, I was kind of like, you know, family was getting lonely and everybody was stressed out. We lost my dad and, you know, such things like that. And it was hard for me to just come in and just stay for myself. And, you know, it was hard. but I kind of, like, decided a little bit, like, it's my future, so I got to just stay and just walk out in school and just, you know, keep running. And
1: I wanted to be a successful guy. And 10 years later, are you happy with those decisions that you made?
0: I think I think so. So, like, I, you know, I sat down a couple months ago and just think about the journey that I've, I've came since that time after this moment. I was like, wow. I think I make, I was lucky to make a right decision. You just stay back, you know, every, if anything anything happens, just hold it back a little bit and just take a breath and relax and just, you know, everything will be okay. That's what I decided, just like, you know, sit back, relax and enjoy the moment. And now, I'm now enjoying the fruits of my life that I've done,
1: you know. And how often do you, remind yourself of where you came from and how far you've come during that time. Is that just something you do every once in a while or is it something you try to yeah. revisit more often?
0: Oh, it's something that I try to see. Like when when, you know, once in a while, if I'm having, having a hard time with everything, I was like, this is not like what I've came through a long time ago. This is kind of easy to fix or something is happening. I was like, you know what? I struck a little bit. Now I'm in better shape. and in
1: better place to stay. And I was like, you know what? I'm just, everything's going to be up. It's going to be okay. How have your impressions of the United States, the country where you've lived now, primarily for the last 10 years, changed in the time since you've initially came here? Uh, I mean, it's amazing, man. You
0: know, like, I've been having a good time, you know, enjoying my friends, enjoying my family, and, you know, enjoying myself here in the US. Like I'll say, I'll thank U.S. for the great opportunity that they gave to me, seeing that time after this moment, man. Yeah,
1: and I know for you, one of your major goals now is to become a U.S. citizen, and that process has not gone quite as quickly as anyone would hope. But when did you decide that you wanted to apply for citizenship and go that route?
0: Long time, man. I decided 2013 and now it's been like close to six years and nothing is happening, man. I'm just keep trying, man, you know, and I never lose up yeah just keep trying until they it. yeah
1: and what would it mean for you to wear a u.s singlet man, competition? it means a
0: lot man i was hoping 2016 olympics i was like yes if it's gonna happen 2016 i'll be so happy so i keep one more shot 20 if i don't get it until next year olympics i was like you know i keep trying i'm never to lose off you know yeah. if i wear that jersey man it's gonna be excited yeah
1: and beyond just representing the country in international competition at the olympics at the world championships what else would that mean to you
0: it's going to mean a lot, man. So that's why I've been working hard right now. Like, you know, anything will happen any time from now, I
1: can wear that jersey and just represent the country. Tell me, let's go back to your upbringing as a child. Tell me about your family and what you remember about your early childhood.
0: Uh, we grew up in a small village back home in Kenya. And, um, you know, I was number four child phone in the family and with both other brothers and two sisters and um, you know we all have like different calls for our family you know like my call is just to become a professional athlete and also to become like successful guy, and my (laughs) other brothers they were trying to become you know like my dad is a military family my family is a military family, so everybody we trying to be a military guy, and I was like, I need to be something else, you know? So my goal is just, like, to be, to have my family be successful in the future and uh, take care of everything. When did running come into your life? Uh, when I came to U.S. in 2010, so I was I used to play soccer, and uh, coach decided to, like, you know what, we're going to make you run because I see you chasing the soccer really quickly and um, can you try running? I was like, hell no, <laughs> running is just something <laughs> like, it's not my thing to do, you know, it's hard.
1: It's punishment.
0: Yeah, so I try, even though back home my dad used to punish me to do that, I was like, no, I got to do this. And he ended up pushing me to go to like a training game for kids in Kenya and I was like, nah, I can't do this, man. I went there for a the week and after that I came
1: home and quit. Were you aware growing up of Kenya's history and distant running and some of the great stars that have yeah, come there? Yeah, there was the one guy in my home, like he was
0: a runner by the time and he was, you know, coming to overseas, bringing medals and buying expensive vehicles. And it was like, ooh, this guy is rich, man. You know, some boys driving Mercedes and we're like, huh, this guy is a runner, man. And I know him really well just from my hometown. And uh, he comes sometimes, I was just running for... You know, for kids like running, they were like, hey, I think you're going to be a good runner, man. You just keep, 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 keep dreaming and keep walking out. I was like, okay, but I like soccer. And then I end up, you know, following his
1: steps. When did you first start to fall in love with running?
0: Uh, in
1: 2011. And what was that moment for you?
0: I mean, 2000, when I got to the US, actually, 2010, you know, I fell in love with the sport. And also, I end up running. Really well, and I kind of want to do something like Ednaxane, so I did NXN. I got second behind Vervigas in 2010,
1: and uh, after that, I was like, hm, I think I, I can run. Do you remember a specific moment though when whether it was a workout or a run with friends, or maybe it was a race where you're like, I actually think I like this and I want to stick with it?
0: Yeah, it was actually with uh one of my friends, like we were running in New Jersey with uh Rosa's brothers and uh CBA Christian brothers in kids from high school and these guys they were really good so the roses brothers they were twins and they were good friends with you know my high school and me he was like hey we're gonna pick you up this sunday for for long run and then we can see so i dropped them in the long run and uh they were doing 10 mile long run by the time and i dropped them and they were like oh this kid is tough i was coming going rolling hills and my coach was like hmm you ran the last mile 455 i was like Oh, I didn't even know what's that mean, 455 a mile. I was like, <laughs> I just ran. because I used to go in kilometers, but I, was like, I thought it was a kilometer, and I was like, that's slow, but it was miles. <laughs> but uh, a few months later, I came back and ran fast indoors and i was like oh you can run i was like okay that's the moment i fall in love with the sport and i end up quitting the tr- the soccer thing and just focus on running so
1: you were playing a little bit of soccer when you first came here to the u.s yes let's just talk about that even though this isn't a soccer podcast how was that game different for you here in the u.s than back in kenya
0: uh i mean when i came to u.s i was like doing two sports running at the same time playing that soccer and um I used to enjoy the soccer. All the time I'm free, I have to go to the soccer field, just keep my follow around. run. But there's no time I was like, okay, I got to go run. Now I was just wasting my time to go for a run. I can play soccer instead of running. The coach kept telling me, you can run, you can run, and a hand up, you know what, I'm going to just run and run.
1: And aside from being a competitive runner and showing some promise in the sport, how important was that? For your socialization here in the US, making friends and being part of a team and just like using that as almost an alley to, you know, to get into life here?
0: I mean, I make a lot of friends, you know, like in terms of that, like when I was in school, I used to hang out with people, you know, surround myself with the good people and we make friendship there, hang out, do something like go to the city, like New York. You know, I make a lot of friends there and um, they teach me a lot of stuff, even though there was some day they teach me bad things and I was I did not even know what's that mean. And, uh, you know, they told me tell the coach something like N-word and I was like, eh, what's that mean? When I say that word, I almost get in trouble. I was like, don't say that word anymore. But at that time, I choose not to hang out. Everybody would teach me crazy stuff. So I choose the good people and um, I make good friends with them.
1: Back to the competitive side of running, what about that was exciting to you when you started winning races? Would you consider yourself a naturally competitive person? Mm,
0: uh, sort of, a little bit in high school because I used to run relays and uh, I, will, I had to lose, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to compete crazy. Even though I get the baton behind, I was just like going out crazy. If I die, I can die over there. So which is, I was running a mile and I was going out like 55 and then (laughs) run like 60 something towards the end, which is not a smart way to run, but the good thing, we we won. You know, that's what I was trying to compete
1: to win. Yeah. Do you think part of that is... Being like a middle child and having, you know, older siblings that you were trying to aspire to be like or maybe keep the younger kids behind you, do you think that had anything to do with your competitiveness?
0: Uh, I think, of course, I was trying to teach, you know, other people like my sibling back home, like they were around us. So one of them, I was trying to teach him how to become tough in everything. You compete in everything in either class outside class you have to compete to be you know to
1: become a better person yeah um how much contact are you in with your siblings and your family now back in Kenya uh
0: I talk to my family and my sibling almost every day so these days the issue that we have WhatsApp. we can pass time we can do everything so I talk to them
1: almost every day yeah and how supportive of your running career are they since when you left there you weren't a runner I mean I
0: try to it's I try to support my family as much as I can, especially now since I'm a runner and I can do everything, you know, and I'm trying to make them happy, you know, make my brothers go to school, make everything, do whatever they want, so long as they get my eleven, make sure my mom, she's doing fine.
1: Yeah. And when you were running in high school, when did you realize, not that you had talent, but that it was something that you wanted to continue doing beyond high school and maybe use it as a vehicle to get into college and as a way to support your family even beyond that? Uh,
0: when I was looking for college, yes, that's the time I was like, you know, I was about to keep up, uh, to just stop running and just focus on school. And my coach was like, you need to run so you can get a scholarship. After I went to Oregon, I was like, coach was like, yeah, I think you can make, you know, you can make living and running. I was like, I don't think so. And uh, he teach me how to, to become a better runner, to become a better person and how to get tough. So I got more tougher when I was there. And uh other than that, my coach was just a fast not even look you like as an athlete They look you like you know treat you like a human being, real human being and uh so we were having a strong relationship with him and told me a lot of things that I really appreciate what he does me it does to me and after this moment and um, that's where I know I realized like you know what I'm just gonna make this thing to be you know my living even though I go to school to get my chicken and everything I'm just gonna focus doing what I'm doing and learn from him,
1: he taught me, like, this is the right way to go. Is this Andy Powell at Oregon? Yes. What was the attraction to Oregon out of high school?
0: Uh, I I was looking at other schools, but the first thing that came to my mind is Oregon because I saw their story, like, you know, their story, they came through, like, Pripantane, Albarazalaza, and all other famous athletes came through there. And I kind of want to be one of those guys. I was like... You know, when my coach, Andy Powell, visited me, was like, you know, this dude, you can be one of those guys and you can going destroy all the records if you decide to come to Oregon. I was like, sure. When I went there, I did the same, exactly that, what he said. And I put my name up there after college. I was
1: like, yeah, I think I want to keep running for a while. Did you feel an external pressure when you went to Oregon to be one of those athletes to prefontaine and Salazar? Mm. um, Or were you just focused on being the best that you could be and wherever it led, it led?
0: Yeah, um, I was just focusing on myself and, you know, probably be um, a good student. I was a a good student to do over there and my main focus is focus on school and just focus on myself to be a better athlete. Yeah, and just naturally breaking records and those that things came naturally. What did you study
1: at Oregon? Uh, economics business. And when did you first take interest in that
0: field of study? Um, when I, I was going to like engineering school and then we didn't have that program in Oregon and everybody in my family, there were mechanic, chemical and engineering and other stuff like that. I kind of want to do something different other than what
1: my family did. <laughs> Hey, I want to take a quick break to thank my friends at Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. I'm a big fan of this brand and everything that they're about. Tracksmith is an independent running brand based in Boston, not far from where I grew up. They're a group of dedicated runners focused on building technical yet understated running apparel that celebrates the amateur spirit and inspires the personal pursuit of excellence. Their products, which reflect their New England roots, are designed for a specific running function and solve problems unique to the experience of training and racing, whether that's building the perfect pair of half tights for speed workouts or split shorts that are just the right weight and with the right number of pockets for a marathon. And unlike other brands in the industry, Tracksmith's model is direct-to-consumer, which enables them to scour the earth for the most technical materials to meet a specific performance intent without having to compromise to make wholesale margins. Tracksmith is known for bringing running culture to life through creative events and experiences. They are heading overseas for the first time ever, popping up at the London Marathon starting Thursday, April 25th near Covent Garden. They'll be debuting a limited edition London collection as well as hosting shakeout runs, parties, post-race, poster stamping, and a lot more. Learn more at tracksmith.com Mario, that's my name, and follow them on Instagram at tracksmithrunning for updates. My thanks to Tracksmith for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. How important have your coaches been to your overall development as a person and an athlete? You just spoke a little bit about Andy Powell's role, um, but going back to your first coach at St. Benedict, who yeah. took you in when you came here to the U.S. and just helped cultivate this love for running and helped you assimilate to this new country. Um, what role have they, have they played throughout uh, your development? Man. I can't, I don't know how to
0: explain that, man. All people, man, they, they love me a lot. Like, you know, they play a role, a big role model to me in my life, especially when I first came to the U.S. I never knew anybody. I didn't have any money. You know, I didn't have anywhere, like any car to get any place. So they just supported me whatever I needed, anything. They were like, yeah, call me or email me or tell somebody to call you if I didn't have a phone or whatever, you know. And... Like that when I just send an email or anything like that, Michael show up quickly and take me wherever I want. You know, or pie me anything I want and um support me. If I need to talk to my family, they have to make me to make sure that I talk to my family every day. And um uh, they support me anything I can. So I think mostly mostly most more important is the high school coach who started my life really well, set me up. And then after that, of course, Andy Powell Nordic and is a guy who me to feel a human being right now. And after now, I have great people in my life. I surround myself with good people. Even last weekend, a couple of weeks ago, I went to New York, New Jersey to see my high school coach and see the guy who made me to come to the U.S. He's a priest. His name is Brother Brother Richard Queen. He's like 101 years old. And then my high school coach is 76 years old. So I went to hang out with them in you know New York, New Jersey area for two weeks, and then I went back to training him. So which is good. I always keep back in the community one day, you know, like just go to visit them, talk to them, you know, hang out with them a little bit, and
1: uh, do stuff for them. Yeah. So you have a big appreciation for oh, yeah. the people who have helped you get oh, yeah, to definitely. where you are. Yeah,
0: definitely. Of course, plus Andy Powell, we saw each other in indoor national. We hang out, we talk on the
1: phone every single day. Going back to your development as. An athlete. How did things change for you in college at Oregon under Andy Powell's tutelage from a training standpoint where you started? I mean, you're already good going into Oregon, but you won three straight NCAA titles in cross country. I think you won, what, 17 titles while you were there um, and dominated the the collegiate ranks. What changed for you from a training standpoint from high school to college?
0: Uh, I mean, when I went to Oregon, I think that program was set for me because I knew like I was going to change my life because... When I was in New Jersey, there was nowhere to run, even though we have to drive to New York. I had a lot of stuff going on. I was struggling for my, you know, get all my SADs ready and everything like that. I didn't have time to just train harder. When I went to Oregon, everything was all set. I was growing up and I knew what to do for myself, other things to do for myself. Plus also the coach was helping me out a lot. If I needed anything, I was like, hey, coach, this is what I want to do. And... You know, me and Coach, were like this—we understand each other. So, if I say, "Hey, Coach, this week I'm gonna run less miles. I'm just tired," he switches the miles, and you know, he listened to me, and I listened to him a lot, and he changed my life a lot.
1: When you graduated from Oregon, how difficult was it? How difficult of a decision was it for you to decide one to become a professional runner, but then two to take that next step and decide. Who am I going to sign with? Where am I going to live? Who's going to coach me?
0: Uh, it was hard, actually, for sure. So I graduated, you know, a week. And then a week after, you know, it was hard life for me. My sister, my younger sister, passed away. And I was looking for a contract at the same time. It was really difficult for me. And so I told coach, you know, this is hard for me. If I can't find a contract, if I, you know, I don't have money, to you go home to see my sister, to call my sister funeral and everything like that? So... The good thing is I was I was there in Eugene on my girlfriend and other friends that they stay with us and I was like I got a call phone call to say my sister first away so I have to go home. And they leave me out to, you know, get the flights and everything and I went home. When I get home I just told my coach I'm not coming back anymore. I wanna just stay home. So he you thought out. you were gonna stay in Kenya. Yeah, I was for just good. gonna quit everything and just stay home. And uh Coach called my mother and called my old brother. I was like, hey, we need that guy to come back quickly. So I was only in Kenya for four days for the funeral. And then after the funeral, I will just come back quickly. So I have to change my flight to come back. And as soon as I get in Eugene, I decided. I was like, oh, life is hard, man. I don't know if I want to run or if I want to do And If I can't get any contract, if I can't do anything, I just want to go home and just start life, you know, start from zero. So he didn't let me to do the those stuff that I was trying to decide. So he made me stay there, I stay in his house. And he was like, hey, this is what it's going to be. So we're going to elevate you as much as we can to get a good contract and keep running. So I listened to him and I was like, okay. So I stayed there for another month. From June all the way through September, mid-July actually. So I do not have anything. I do not have any contract. I graduated in June and, you know, I'm just hustling around, you know. And, um... At long last, I just signed with the agency and then we took another month to just struggle for the money, to get money, to get a contract. And uh, in one month later, anything played out. So I just got a contract and started my life. lifestyle moving on for that time, training Eugene a little bit with my coach. And I was having, you know, trouble with other things. I
1: was, you know, I told coach, I just kind of want to go someplace to train. Was it hard for you? To motivate yourself to continue training and racing after your sister passed away, and you know you're done with your collegiate career, um, was that was that challenging for you to to get yourself going? Again? Yeah,
0: it was it was hard for it was hard for real, and uh, you know by that time I was kind of like went home, took a little break, come back, I quit for like three weeks now running and doing everything. When I come back, it was hard because. I can't run, I can't focus with anything. So my girlfriend was there in the house, it was just making me feel bad as much as I can. But I tried, but it was hard, man, For until like September, towards October actually, so that's the time I kind of like, you know, tell myself it's okay, life will be okay. And I ended up moving on, get a race, run a
1: race, and, you know, everything went well, and start focusing from that. Outside of the competitive side of the sport and all the opportunities that it's given you, what else do you love about running?
0: Um, I love running, man. It's actually like, you know, how you meet different people, you know, like you make friends in every way you go. You meet different people. You learn something from from even the environment itself. Like I've never been here and I was like, oh, this is a nice area, you know. I kind of like this place. That's how I tell myself every day when I go to some places. Just learn things, meet people, make friends, and um,
1: just be a compete, you know, compete with people. Yeah, it's given you opportunities to see the world yes. as well. Yes, yes. Um, looking beyond this weekend here at Carlsbad, I mean, you're still young, you're still early on in your career. What goals do you have for yourself as a competitive athlete? from here on out i mean my call, my big goals is you know from now
0: on throughout the summer until next year so i'm sending calls one by day you know one thing at a time you know focus on this race you know whatever happens i go back and fix it and get ready throughout the summer all the way you know until like olympic year
1: yeah and to this point in your career which of your accomplishments are you most proud of? You've run 349 the mile. You've won all these NCAA titles. Um, you just ran a PR in the 5,000. Do you look back at any of those performances um, with a little more pride than any of the others?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I keep... When I try to look back, you know, I told myself I wasn't a miler. I thought when I was, went to Oregon, I told, well, you know what, I'm going to be a 5,000, 10,000 runner. So I don't know why you're making me run fifteen. In these events, it was like, I think you got the speed to do that. So my freshman year, I ran 3.36 in Oregon in thirteen eighteen, And coach was like, mm, you got to range from anything from 15 all the way to right. 10,000. And I kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to keep trying, you know, 15 a little bit and mile. And I uh, ended up putting me on the relays, which is really good for me because I like being a uh, team sport. Yeah. You know, like mixing up with... Team sport, especially let's like say if you win a national, said DMR. That's what I like, and um, I kind of learned a little bit from there. Like you know what, this is for your teammates, and sometimes it is for yourself. You know, you got to do something for yourself. And I was like, yeah, that's really good to start mixing up a little bit until you know I can't run four minutes anymore. And now like I'm gonna move up. And then recently when I went to. Uh, I moved to Arizona and trained there for a couple months. I got the speed quickly and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go down to just run the mile and see what I can run. And I talked to my agent, you know, I was like, you know what, we're going to Boston, let's set up this thing. I think you can run 350 in the mile. I was like, no way you can lie to me, 350. So it was like, I think you can run. And I was like, okay, let me go try. And... um it happens, you know, yeah, with that day and I was so excited about like breaks of 350 Vari and um, I was happy with it. That's the most thing that I was happy about in my life. And recently too, you know, all the time I go to the truck, I BR and, you know, do good things. And um, celebrate, you went home after 3.49, go see my mom. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I got to
1: take a break, go see my mother. I went to Kenya straight from there and uh, it was fun. You said you talk to your family on an almost daily basis. How proud of you is your mom?
0: Uh man, my mom she wants me to go to move to Kenya. That's a that's the only thing she wants me. To, like you know, I'm so I'm so proud of you. You done a lot. You get your degrees and everything. And now you're running, you're making money, you are you own these properties back home and you do other things like that. Who is going to live in these houses? You have to come home and I'm proud of you at the same time, you know to be your mother, you know, just come home anytime you can to see me and, you know, do things for me. I was like, yeah, I got to do things for your mom because without you, I wasn't even here, you know. Yeah. Is that a hard position for you to be in? I mean, it's hard for me sometimes when I think other things. Like last year, I went home because my mom and my uncle they were sick at the same time in the same hospital. So I end up quitting my training and just go back to Kenya to take care of them for a month. And after a month, my mom, she was fine. My hunger was still in the hospital. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my business. You guys, you know, I left to my brothers. Like, hanging there. My mom, she's fine. Mom again, come back, take care of my hunger until recently passed away. And that was a hard moment for me too. So that's why I'm deciding to go
1: home from here on Monday. Yeah. To go see my mother and make sure everything's okay. Do you ever think of the example that you set and what it means for other folks back home in Kenya?
0: Uh, I, you know, I try to think about it for a sec. At the same time, you know, when I sit down like this and just think what, you know, that story and everything like that about my life, it makes me, you know, feel a little bit sadness. And um, some people, some other people, they don't get after this moment or the boeing of that thing mean, you know. To me, I it means a lot or someone who understands means a lot. And it's kind of like, you know, make you cry a little bit because it's 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 a lot of challenge. And uh, to somebody who gets the point, would learn something. And I can learn something myself too when I sit down and think about it for a
1: sec. This is great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I wish you the best. On oh, thank Sunday. you so much for having me, man. All right, we did it. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you're a fan of the show, or heck, even if you're not, if you would go to your podcast app that you're listening to this on and leave a rating and a review, it would really mean a lot to me. That helps new listeners to discover the show, and it is the easiest way to show your support. A big thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Tracksmith is an independent running brand based in Boston, Massachusetts, that was founded by a group of dedicated runners whose focus is on building technical yet understated running apparel that celebrates our sport's amateur spirit and inspires the personal pursuit of excellence. Tracksmith is known for bringing running culture to life through creative events and experiences. They're heading overseas for the first time ever, popping up at the London Marathon starting Thursday, April 25th, near Covent Garden. They'll be debuting a limited edition London collection, as well as hosting shakeout runs, parties, post-race poster stamping, and a lot more. You can learn more at tracksmith.com slash Mario and follow them on Instagram at tracksmithrunning for updates. Also, a big thank you to John Summerford of bearsrecords.com for handling all my audio needs for this show, including the music which he produced himself. John's handled the sound for every episode of the podcast to date, and he's a big part of my small team here at The Morning Shakeout. Last thing. If you're digging this podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you will likely enjoy. Okay, that's it. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.